have you ever shown up in a particular location? It could be a, a different city or state, or it could just be somewhere around town. You've shown up at a place, and someone there sees you, someone perhaps that you know, and they ask you this question. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Have you ever been asked that question? Why are you here? What are you doing? Uh, fancy meeting you here. Why are you here? I've been asked this question. And it can, it can actually throw you off guard. Wait a second. What am I doing here? Why am I here? It's kind of like, you know, when you get a little older and you walk into the, some room and you knew you entered into that room for a purpose that was a great reason. And you get in there and you can't remember. Why am I here? There are a number of different reasons why you could be somewhere, anywhere, in the earth. I'm sure that there are people here today that might wonder why you're here. Why are you here? A good question, and it's a philosophical question, too. It's not just a question of geography. It can be a question of philosophy. Why are we here? But if I want to ask the question, not why we're here, but why did Jesus come here? Why did Jesus come? What if we could ask him tonight? What if we could ask him, Jesus, why did you come to the earth? Why did you come as it's been sung in songs? Why did you come to town? Why did you come to the earth that you made? I believe that that answer to the question, the, the, the answer has serious ramifications for us as human beings. And depending upon our response to Jesus, it can have eternal consequences and blessings as well. Well, what if we asked, not Jesus himself, but what if we asked Jesus, one of his closest friends, why he came? What if we were able to ask perhaps the closest person that there was to him while he was here on the earth? What would that person tell us? Well, we're going to ask him tonight. We're going to look at his answer tonight. That person is the Apostle John. The Apostle John, well, how could you say he's the closest person to? Well, John tells of himself that he was the one that Jesus loved <laughs> of all the disciples. And he wrote that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So if you're under the inspiration of the Spirit, you can let it fly. I'm the one that Jesus loved. He is the one who was seen in the setting of the Last Supper, reclining and leaning upon Jesus. And I'd say if you were reclining and leaning on Jesus at the Last Supper, yeah, you were one that was pretty close to him. You were pretty close to Jesus. It's John, the apostle, that writes the definitive gospel. We have four gospels, but there's one that's kind of different. You know, remember that on, I can't remember what kids' show that was. Which one of these is not like the other one? Remember the four boxes? Yeah, there's one gospel that's a little bit different than the others. And it's the gospel of John because he deals specifically with the identity of Jesus in his gospel. And then, of course, it's John who receives the revelation 
the unveiling. He's the author of the book of Revelation, which is the unveiling of Jesus. And he received that revelation while exiled on the island of Patmos. So if anyone knew why Jesus came, I think John would know. I think John is a pretty good authority to look into as to why Jesus came to the earth. And so we're going to look at this in in John's first epistle. John gives us reasons that Jesus came to earth. In one way, you could say that the entire epistle lays out the reasons that Jesus came. And in fact, his, you know, the whole epistle of 1 John is really kind of answering that question. And tonight we're going to look at it um, just specifically in what he says in 1 John chapter 3. Let me say it this way. Jesus came to town so that you and I could be made like him. You say, well, no, wait a second. Didn't he come to be born and to, and to die and to rise from the dead? Yeah, 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 yes, yes, yes. But we're talking about the reason, the purpose that he came. And the reason that he came, and we'll see this in our text, the reason is that so you and I could be made like him. In fact, we're going to look at a verse of scripture that talks about those of us who choose to follow Christ. There's a moment in time when we see Jesus that we're going to be made exactly like him, exactly like he is. When we see him, John says, we will be like him. And so Jesus came to town so that you and I could be made like him. We're being, as Christians, we're being made and conformed into his image. And one day we will be in that twinkling of an eye, we'll all be changed. Amen? One of the reasons Jesus came was so that we could be made like him. Now there's a really big reason why we're not like him. If we need to be made like him, there's a good reason that we're not like him. And it's called sin. Sin entered the world because man wanted to be like God on their terms, on the terms that were given to them by this deceiver that showed up in the garden. You remember what Satan, the Nakash, the serpent, there in Genesis, when he tempted Eve, what did he tempt her with? We see it in the text, Genesis chapter 3. You'll see it on the screen, verses 4 and 5. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, speaking of the fruit, in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. You'll be like God. Of course, this is the temptation that Satan uses on man. You can be like God. If you'll eat this fruit, you'll be like God. Oh, you know, but, but he said, don't eat of the fruit that's in the midst of the garden. Oh, well, God knows, God knows that when you eat of this fruit, you're going to be like him. You can be like God. You can be a God. This is exactly what Satan aspired to when he fell. We see this in Isaiah chapter 14, beginning at verse 13, it says this. And this is kind of like the, 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 called the five I wills of Satan, where he says, for you have said in your heart, and here's where Satan says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Okay, so this is the satanic, this is the, this is the sin of all sins. This is, this, is, this is the satanic sin. 
that now Satan in the garden is kind of foisting, perpetrating upon mankind. Oh, God knows. When you eat of it, you'll be like God. So this is a major problem into the world today. The the major problem in the world today is due to the fact that Satan wanted to be like God and he attempted man to want to be like God on their own terms and not according to the will of God. Not realizing that, that not keeping in mind that they had been made as the image of God upon the earth. The message of the gospel is that you can be like God according to the will of God. And that is accomplished by having faith in his son and being conformed into his image. So how would the apostle John answer the question, why did Jesus come? And we will see the answer according to John tonight. The first one, if you're taking notes, is this. Jesus came to take away our sin. Jesus came to take away our sin. Let's look at it. First John chapter three. I'm gonna actually pick it up, verse two. Beloved Now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. And he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning since the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. Jesus came to take away our sin. This is the biggest problem we have. Man fell from the place that they had with God, that relationship that they had. And because their sin entered the world, the, the plan of God was activated. The plan that was established before the foundation of the, of the world was, was, was activated uh, to, to redeem man, to come and to, to make a way to provide for man's sin. So the hope of the gospel is that we will be made like Jesus, that we will be made like the Lord. And the only way that you can be made like him, the only way that you can see the Father, the only way that you can see heaven, the only way that you can see the kingdom is that if you're made like him, if you're born from him from above. Jesus said it this way to Nicodemus, you will never see heaven unless you're born again. How's that? Because you have to be like him to be there with him. You have to be made by him. You have to be given that spiritual birth into the kingdom. In other words, you have to be perfect. You have to be made perfect. How's that? Well, why is that? Because he's perfect. If, we're gonna be, if, if we need to be like him, and there's a big reason why we're not like him, and that's sin, then we need to be, that, that situation needs to be dealt with. Our sin needs to be dealt with. We need to be made perfect, because Jesus is perfect. Amen? Look at that verse 
For whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and him, and in him there is no sin. So he came to deal with our sin, he came to take away our sin, but in him there's no sin. In other words, he's perfect, and he came to take away our sins so that we could be made like him. Amen? So he's perfect. He's a perfect 10. If it was Olympics of righteousness, he would get 10s across the board. Yeah, 10, 10, right? He's a perfect 10. Jesus, he's completely perfect. Well, you can, you can say, well, wait a second now. You know, he was God. So, I mean, was it really that big of a thing? I mean, was it, was it, was it you know, he was God. So, I mean, just to say that he's perfect, I mean, we, we kind of know that, don't we? I mean, he's, 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 Jesus is God. Sure, he's perfect. But he put on flesh. He put, he, the, the logos of God put on flesh and put on humanity. And he walked this earth and he was tempted just as we are. The question of theology is, could he have sinned? When the devil tempted, tempted him, could he have sinned? And I remember this question brought up in theology class in Bible college. And it was one of those questions where you're like, oh, wow, I don't know if I've ever asked that question. Could Jesus have sinned? And the best answer among many to the question that I've heard, I remember I can hear my theology professor at Southeastern University who said it this way, he could not sin because he would not sin. He could not sin because he would not sin. He came. Jesus lived a perfect human life and he did this so that his life could be a ransom for ours. He lived a perfect life in the flesh so that he could take the punishment of our sin upon himself. The punishment that was due to us because of our sin, our imperfection, he took that punishment upon, uh, upon himself. The writer of Hebrews tells us that, in, or I'm sorry, Isaiah, our punishment, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, right? And then he turns around and he offers to each and every single one of us the perfection that he has and that he perfect, and he says, here, if you want it, you can have it. This is what you need to get into heaven. This is what you need. It's absolute perfection. You can have it. It's the greatest deal in the universe. Jesus trades complete brokenness and a sinful life, and he says, I'll give you beauty and righteousness and perfection in me. Yeah. Wow. Amen. I'll take it. You don't need to see what's behind door number two. <laughs> what Jesus offers behind door number one, it's the greatest deal in all the universe. So what is John saying? He's saying that he who has a hope of being made holy, perfect like Jesus purifies himself from the practice of imperfection. 
This is what John is saying in the first couple of verses there. He says in verse three, and everyone who has this open him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. So this brings up a couple questions because you're, you're, you read this section of scripture and, I, and, I, and, and this is great for, for an Easter weekend because you, know, you don't get into some of this deeper stuff. It's, it's kind of the, the, you know, the, the, the gospel light. Um, and, and that's important, the, the, the milk of the word, but I think you gotta have the milk and the meat of the word so that we can be brought up into the perfect man of Jesus Christ, amen? And so he's saying, look, if you sin, you, you, you're, you're, you're not like God. You're, you're just off on your own. You're, you're in sin, you're in lawlessness. And what is he talking about here? Well, we wanna talk about sin a little bit on Easter weekend because this is the weekend that we celebrate that Jesus took care of it. So we need, we need to understand it. John goes on to, to define sin. He says sin is lawlessness. Sin, is, sin at its most basic root is a disregard for the law of God. It's a disregard for the word of God. The Greek word for sin in the New Testament is the, Greek, is the word harmatia. Sin equals harmatia. And it means to miss the mark. It carries the idea of missing the mark of a target. And uh, yeah, put, put that target up there. So, so to understand yeah, a target, not target the store, although I think that is the logo of target the store. <clears throat> so, you know, because if you Google target, just a target, just Google it, it'll come up, target, the store, not a target. Um, but anyways, to miss the mark, sin is to miss the mark. It's actually to miss, it's, it's kind of like if you were shooting arrows and you shot your arrow and not only did it not hit the bullseye, but it didn't even hit the target. I mean, it completely fell short. You fell short of the glory. You, you missed, and that's what it means. You, you, were, you were off track, you, were, you, you missed the mark, you disobeyed God. And every single person has transgressed the word of God, the law of God. We've made those decisions in our hearts and minds. And so lawlessness, sin, is exactly what keeps us from being like God. And so John tells us here in, John, in, in verse 4 that Jesus, it says this, Jesus was manifested. What's that? Jesus came. Jesus appeared. Jesus showed up. Jesus came to town to do what? to take away our sin, to deal with our sin, because we've got a major problem, and we're never going to see heaven without him dealing with it, and that's why he came to town. That's why John says he was manifested to take away our sin. Yes. But he goes further. He says, he who, who commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to, to take away our sin, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin, and whoever sins has neither seen him nor know him, known him. Now, you, you, were, you were tracking with me for verse 4 and 5, and then we got to verse 6, and you were like, uh-oh. We're in trouble. <laughs> whoever abides in him does not sin. Now, wait a second. We sin, right? Earlier in this book, this epistle, John said, I, I write these things to you that you may not sin. 
But if you do sin, and he who says that he does not sin lies and deceives himself. So what is John talking about here? This is, a, this is something that every Christian should understand. Every Christian should understand this point. Is that there is the reality of every single person who has not come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is basically walking in an unbroken stride, an unbroken course of sin in their life. There's, there's no, at no time has it been interrupted and dealt with. At no time has the righteousness of Christ been brought into their life. And so they are on an unbroken course, an unbroken stride of walking, of practicing, of committing sin. What happens in the life of the Christian is that the Lord comes in and he completely transforms our life. We're born again, born from the Father above. We come into the kingdom. We've been justified, just as we've, we've been justified in him, just as if I'd never sinned at all. And we begin to walk with him. And so the course of our, un, our, our lawlessness and our unrighteousness has been completely broken. And now we're walking in the righteousness of Christ. Yes. And even though there may be that stumble, there may be that fall. You read this whole epistle. You can read it tonight before you go to bed. In chapter two, he says, if you do sin, we have an advocate. We have a great defense attorney. <laughs> and, and then he says, and then he uses this, this, this qualifier, Jesus the righteous. <laughs> who is it that's going to represent us before the Father? It's Jesus the righteous son who lived a perfect life so that even if in that, as you're walking with, with, with the Lord and the course of your life, has, the, the, the course of your walk in sin has been broken and you're walking in Christ, even if you do commit a sin, a sin. See, there's a difference between walking and continuing in sin and that one act of sin. And so even if you do sin, we have an advocate, Jesus the righteous, who represents us before the Father. And then in the first chapter, he, told, he, he tells us, John tells us this, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this is clear. John is clear that the person who has been born again and is, in, and is abiding in Jesus is not wanting to and not living in the practice of sin. Because when you do sin, you're the, Jesus the righteous is your advocate. We go to him, the spirit convicts us of that sin, and we're not allowed to continue as we're abiding in Jesus. We're not allowed to continue in that and create a new course unbroken in sin. And this is the difference between the believer and the unbeliever. So maybe you're here today and you need Jesus to come alongside you. You need the Holy Spirit to come alongside you and, and convict you and bring you back and bring you back to that place where, hey, wait a second, I'm, I'm your advocate. I'm, I'm your defense attorney. We need to get this straightened out and confess the sin before him. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus can take away your sin in three ways. He takes away the penalty of sin. He can take away the power of sin. And he can take away the presence of sin. He takes away the penalty of sin. 
We're no longer under the penalty of sin if you've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. He takes away the power of sin because the power of sin, there is a power of sin that keeps people locked in the chains of it. It's a, it's a bondage. There's a bondage to sin. Literally, the, the whole idea of us being saved is we're literally called out of the, of the, 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 mark, the slave market, literally. If you want to get into like Paul's writings, go see the Apostle Paul in the movie theaters and then read his letters. This is what he argues in the New Testament. We've literally been bought back from the slave market of sin because of what Jesus did in breaking the power of sin, and then he can take away the presence of sin. And this is a lot, this is what we need today, amen? This is what you and I, we need the presence of sin to be taken out of our lives, and Jesus can do it. So maybe you need to rely on Jesus for that during this Easter weekend. Jesus takes this away from the true, true believer. And this is why Jesus came. He came to take away your sin. Now, there's one more added thing. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work, Satan's work. Let's go back and read verse seven through nine. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Jesus came to destroy the work of Satan, Satan's work. This is another, he came to take away our sin, but he doesn't want to just take away our sin. He wants to destroy the devil's work. The devil has Satan, whatever term you want to use, you can use these different terms. Since the beginning, you start in the beginning of the book, you see this Satan, this serpent, the Nakash, this, this very powerful angelic being that was there with God in the beginning and he rebelled. And, and he's been wreaking havoc in the, in the earth ever since. He tempted Adam and Eve and they fell and he's been at work since then just just bringing destruction. He's a liar and a thief, and he's a destroyer. He wants to destroy uh, hu humanity because we've been put here on the earth as the image of God, and so he wants, he wants to destroy people. And, and, and because of that, the, the work of the devil has worked into people's lives, and, 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 he, and he's like a snake, and he'll, he'll come in, and he'll, and he'll get a toehold, and he'll and he'll and he and he works, and and, he, and his work is that of destruction. And so, whenever you see destruction, you know it's the devil's work. You want to identify it. If it, if it's something that's tearing down stuff, it's tearing down um, things that God has established in the earth. If it's if if it's something that's tearing down institutions that God has established, you know it's the devil's work. That's that, 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 that is happening with that, okay? So the devil wants to destroy the things that God has done, and he wants to destroy humanity. And so God, so Jesus came into the world to destroy the devil's work. He's, he, he wants to destroy it. Now, this 
you, you wonder, well, why? I wish he would just go ahead and do it now. <laughs> right? I mean, just, but he is doing it. He's doing it in your life. If you're a Christian here, Jesus' work of taking away your sin is a work of destroying the work of the devil. And he's doing it one by one and family by family. Remember in the Abrahamic covenant, God said to Abraham, in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And you see, so the gospel is applied individually to each one of us. And so the question tonight, is the devil's work being destroyed in your life? Has, has, has God, through his son Jesus, has he be, has, is he doing a work of destroying and stamping out the work of the enemy in your life? And this is what he wants to do. Now, there will come a time at the end. If you read the end of the book, there is coming a time. We don't know exactly when it is coming, but it is coming. And, and just, just, as if, just as everything that was predicted in the Bible has come true, and if you weren't here last week, we talked about the amazing prophecy that, um, that was uh, the prophecy of the exact day that Jesus would, would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. It was predicted to the day, just under 600 years before it happened. And, uh, and so everything that it says in the book is going to happen. And one, one time at the end, this is what's going to happen. Once and for all, Jesus will destroy the work of the devil when the devil is thrown into the lake of fire. And we see this in Revelation 20, verse 10. The devil, who is deceived, who deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire. And brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So there is an ultimate. So, so here's what Jesus is doing. Right now, he came to take away our sin. He came to destroy the work of the devil. One by one, the blessing of Abraham, the promise of Abraham, is available to every single person. And then that comes into your family, and your family is blessed. And the devil's work is being stamped out. And then that's going to go for a time until everyone who is called upon the Lord, that number has been perfectly brought into the kingdom of heaven. Then the end will come. And then we'll get to Revelation 20, verse 10, where the devil is literally thrown into the lake of fire. Now, how that all happens, how that all takes place, trust me, it's, it's, it's going to be an amazing, amazing thing. So... This is a question that uh, people, you know, struggle with because they want to know, you know, well, if there is a God, why doesn't he stop evil now? Why, if there is a God, why doesn't he stop evil things from happening now? But see, God set up the universe and the earth to, to operate according to a set of principles and laws. And one of those is the greatest principle that that we all enjoy, every single person that's sitting in this room right now, we enjoy this principle, and it's the, it's the principle of free will. And because we've been given free will, there is going to be evil perpetrated in the earth, and, and, and for that, suffering is going to come. But ultimately, there is going to be a justice, and this is one of the elements of that finality of that justice. 
And so when you see the devil who has committed tremendous atrocities across the history of the world and, and brought tremendous destruction, and you say, well, why isn't God doing something? Why doesn't God, I thought God wants to, to, to you know, he doesn't like evil. Trust me, God is going to damn evil. God is going to damn evil, and he's going to do it. And this, there's going to be, hell is basically what, what hell is. And I didn't really intend to get this deep into hell on Easter weekend, but we might as well, amen? Because there's a heaven and there's a hell. Yes. And where are you going? Why are you here? And where do you want to be? That's the question we're dealing with tonight. So here's the thing. Hell is basically a quarantine of evil. You say, well, why doesn't God get rid of evil? He's going to get rid of evil. Up until that time, he's allowing free will to transpire all the way out until all the elect have come into the kingdom of God. And until that time comes, the doorway, the stairway to heaven, the doorway of heaven, who is Jesus Christ, is saying, come, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come unto me, all of you who have just are dealing with the effects of your sin in your life and the power of sin is wreaking havoc and the devil and his work is wreaking havoc in your life and come unto me and you will receive life. Now, I want to take you all the way back to the beginning real quick and then we'll take you to the end and then we'll be done. Amen? Because <laughs> I like to do that. I, th this is, I, uh, I have fun with this stuff. You say, Jesus was sent into the world to, to destroy the devil's work. This was first prophesied by the Lord in the garden immediately after the fall. After Adam and Eve fell into sin, God said to them, and in what is, there's a verse of scripture that is called the proto-evangelium. It, proto is the word first it's actually the first gospel. It's the first place in the Bible where you see the gospel message and what's going to happen. And what is it? It's actually a, a, a message that the devil is going to be dealt with and destroyed. And what is that? In Genesis 3.15, it says this, and I will put enmity between, and he's talking to the serpent, he's talking to Satan, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, what happened? Satan worked to, through men to conspire to kill Jesus. But see, Jesus would have never, he would have never died unless he laid his life down. He said, the week before he went to the cross, he told the people, he said, look, I lay my life down of my own accord and I will pick it up again. There was a point where he actually told about destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. And they said, this, they're laughing at him, saying they can't, he can't do that. Who does he think he is? He was speaking of himself. He laid his own life down. But yet that doesn't mean that the devil was conspiring and using men and orchestrating things behind the scenes so that, the, that, the, that he would be killed. 
In fact, Paul actually says that the, the ultimate plan of God was laid out in the Old Testament with a veil that was kind of a veil of secrecy. Even people to this day that read it don't see it. You talk to, there's Jews that you talk to, there's like a veil over their eyes. They still can't see Jesus because there was a veil. And Paul actually explains why this is. He says, because he didn't want the principalities and powers of the enemy to know ultimately in the very act that Satan through his work was bruising the heel of the seed of the woman. And that very act, he was crushing the head of the serpent and destroying his work. Amen? Amen. And so that is what is happening in the cross of Jesus Christ. And he crushed the head of the serpent. And he will bring his devil-crushing work to bear on your life. If you need Jesus to come into your life and crush the head of the serpent in your life, you only need to ask him, and he will come, and he will give you eternal life, and he will bring you into the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Amen. The only question is, will you let him? Will you let Jesus do the work in your life that he came and did and accomplished on the cross of Calvary? Will you let him do it? Will you let him destroy the devil's work in your life? Will you let him take away your sin?